from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Catholic. I'm Jen Morrow, and with me today is Mike Walsh. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm in a mood. The uh, It's been one of those days at the diocese, so my brain's all over the place right now. So if you don't mind, uh, you can just lead the whole rest of this uh, oh, episode if, you don't, if, you're, if you're up for that. You, you okay with that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Just want to sit back and put your feet up? I'm just going to sit back and listen to far more spiritual, holy, wonderful people than I and be, and be immersed in your joy and have it wash over me and then lift me up. Because, you know, it's one of those days. Wow. Okay, no pressure. Okay, <laughs> I will do my best. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, if, if you listen to this show, uh, you know that you get nothing but honesty from all of the hosts, and that's a wonderful thing. And uh, today is not one of those days for me where I'm going to be a spiritual, joyful person, but that's okay, because those are the days we have to live through. And hopefully by the end of this podcast, I'll be so enamored with you and our guests that, and the things you say that I'll be in such a great mood. So I'm looking at this as an opportunity. For joy. Challenge accepted. There you go. We're on the case. They are. Um, so we're actually having a, a nice sort of update episode today. The uh, It was a few months ago uh, when the, was it, 23rd uh, Synod of Bishops started on October, 20, or October 17th in the United States. And it was kicked off in our diocese on that very day with a special opening mass where we... we um, we were able to bring together all of the uh, synod delegates and give them their marching orders and tell them what the what needed to be done that uh, the request of the Vatican so they fully understood it we also at that day had the benefit of uh, for the first time certainly in the, I believe in the uh, nine years that Bishop Sullivan has been the Bishop of Camden we also uh, gave out his bishops medals to uh, 75 worthy recipients it was a day of great joy uh, actually probably one of the most joyful days I've had in the last two years uh, for a lot of reasons but I always like giving out you know gifts to everybody so that's always a treat but uh, but it was also because of the synods of this great kickoff so the synod has been going on around the world for the past four months, three, four months, mm-hmm. and we thought it was time for an update. So Jen, to her credit, uh, said, hey, you know, we should have the person on uh, who's leading the synod efforts in our diocese, to which I then rolled my eyes, because this person's on the podcast far too often, and in my life, even more frequent than that. But uh, she is one of the most lovely and knowledgeable people that uh, we have here in the diocese. And so you thought it would be a good idea to have her on. Uh, who is it again? I did think it was a good idea to have her on. Um, Donna Ottaviona Britt, Diocesan Head of the Secretariat for Pastoral Outreach. Hi, Donna. Hi, Jen. How are you doing? Good. Good to see you again. You hear all those compliments from Mike? Can we, like, mark down today's date? Because they don't come very often. So I just <laughs> want to mark those in my life. Well, you know, I wanted to make sure that the listeners understood that, because Donna's been on the podcast a lot over the past three, four years, um, and it's. I think I referred to her as my frenemy on more than one occasion. <laughs> and, um, and we even got a complaint once because they said I was, uh, I, I said too many sarcastic things to Donna, and they were right. They were right. I would definitely cross the line. But it's because she and I have a very close working relationship, and the stuff we have to work on is always high pressure and, and mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of stress involved. So we've learned how to lovingly bedevil each other uh, through the prism of sarcasm. 
But I think that's true. But she is actually one of the uh, most wonderful people in the diocese. And quite frankly, a lot of these major initiatives we've taken on would not be done to the success that they are uh, if it hadn't been for her. So let me get all the compliments out of the way early. Right, because there won't be any more after this, oh, right, Mike? Heavens no. Okay, no, good. No, 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 no. I just it's, want to be prepared. makes everyone uncomfortable when you do that. <laughs> um, but uh, but you yourself, uh, Jen, uh, have now started the synod process in your own diocese. You're not a member of this diocese. Um, so you have, are getting a much uh, uh, your own first person account of the synod process. But you've you said yourself on many occasions that you've been very impressed by how the Diocese of Camden is running its synod. And I will tell you to, to all of our listeners, um, we are running it just as the Vatican requested us to run it. Um, so you are getting the very blueprint uh, when you hear what uh, what Donna has to say about our synod process. So, well, I'm really excited to have Donna on um, because the Catholic Star Herald has been doing a lot of articles, especially in late fall, early December, about the synod process, getting people ready for the synod, explaining what it was and how the Diocese of Camden would be taking part and the church um, at, in the whole. And, um, and and now we've, we've gotten past December and we didn't need an update to see where the Diocese of Camden is standing. As Mike said, I live in the Diocese of Trenton, which is also, of course, doing its own synod. And, and as a facilitator myself, um, it's interesting to see it from you know both perspectives, being able to cover it as a journalist and then being able to take part. And I'm very, very, um, very moved by that opportunity. So I just wanted to see where we were in the Diocese of Camden today and, and, and where we are in the synod process. And Well, thanks for thinking to invite me, Jen. No problem. I appreciate it. I figured it wasn't Mike's idea. <laughs> um, but I'm happy to talk about the synod process here in the Diocese of Camden. And Mike has already referenced we're literally following the Vatican's blueprint. So they had announced it last spring. We knew that they would issue documents at some point um, late summer or you know into September, knowing full well that we had to launch this on October the 17th, mm-hmm. right? Because the Pope Francis launched it the weekend prior in Rome, and then all the dioceses were expected to do some type of a launch October 17th, and we did exactly that. But the first thing I want to talk about is our people. So every parish is made up of anywhere between four and six lay people that are leading the synod listening sessions in these parishes. They have been amazing. They have been absolutely amazing. They fully embraced what they were asked to do. Uh, We met with them every week from launch on Mm -hmm. a Wednesday night Zoom call. Um, And the resources that we created, many of them are as a result of what their needs were. They told us what they needed in order to be successful, to have these listening sessions or to do surveys or to advertise, to really get the word out in their communities. So they have been very engaged. They have created amazing plans. They did live listening sessions. They did Zoom listening sessions for parishioners who couldn't get to a live session. They did online surveys. They did paper surveys wow. in the pews. They made efforts to go out into their communities, right? Because Pope Francis really wants us to get to the peripheries, so the people that are not with us as well. Mm-hmm. So I just want to give kudos, really, to all of these parish teams in terms of the work that they did, because we may have launched on October the 17th. We would not be able to participate 
and deliver what the Vatican wants from us as a diocese without all of these teams. They're amazing. So explain to the listeners who uh, may have forgotten, or just a little reminder, what exactly is the Vatican? What, is, what do they want? What does the Vatican want out of this, this synod process? They really want to go to the uh, grassroots level of the church and hear from literally everyone, mm-hmm. right? So even thinking about that is kind of, it's an awesome sort of concept. It's like the Holy Father wants to hear from everybody. Right. Um, and really at the, at the lowest level of the church, lowest, I just mean the most local level. Okay. And because everyone is important, everybody has a voice, everybody has an experience, and everyone has a story. And not all of them are good, right? The engagement, with the church, either the people of the church, the institution of the church, but yet there's so much richness and goodness, right? So even as I work with the people around the diocese, you know, some of the the sad things that people have shared that they've been willing to sort of expose their woundedness, Mm -hmm. because that's what we want to hear in these listening sessions, right? Honest Um, response. Honest responses. And part of it too was kind of helping the, the teams at the parish level understand that they didn't need to address those you know they needed to listen they needed to have great empathy for someone that might be sharing a really personal you know sorrowful story around their experience with the church Um, but they also didn't need to address the challenges around church teaching right so we wanted to make sure that they were equipped and confident that they're like no matter what comes up in a session you're ready okay right and it was really around clarifying is that i'm here as a facilitator essentially on behalf of the diocese and really on behalf of the vatican Mm -hmm. um to listen so we have you know uh there's 10 different themes that the vatican gave us that we could ask questions in we have uh, we added a theme actually in our diocese we added an 11th theme around the eucharist And so there were 46 questions that parishes could cut any which way they wanted. You were never going to ask anybody all 46 questions. Sure. Because you know if you do, they're not answering them all. They're leaving, right? They're not answering. Especially if you're sitting in a group. I mean, you couldn't have a group of a small group answer 46 questions. No, because you would need to spend all day Saturday and provide food. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it was really around these parish teams praying around what their plan would be. Right, so we always encourage people to pray, um, to pray at the opening of every session, so that the Holy Spirit would move and that what needed to be revealed to us as church would actually come to light in mm-hmm. those sessions. So that was really what these amazing people did in our 62 parishes, um, and so they needed to have their listening session reports, if you will, sure. uh, submitted by uh is it last weekend now yeah january the 15th we just uh we just got the we actually did our export of the uh reports yesterday mm-hmm. and uh it's almost twelve thousand words long <laughs> it is uh it's a it's a lot that there'll be a team of us at the diocese who will now distill all of those words somehow i got roped into being on that team so expect me to i'll be utilizing the methodology of writing tight when i put my uh, stuff oh, yeah. together sure but um, but no, it's pretty impressive. I, I have looked through, I have looked through some of the responses already, and I have to give the parish teams a lot of credit. They did a fantastic job of really putting the effort into to capture the concerns that they were finding in their parishes, um, and that's an important step in this, and something that Donna was educating all of the teams early on, which was, you know, we don't we want to hear the truth. We don't necessarily want to hear what you think we want us to hear. 
we we want to know what's going on and there are going to be some difficult responses that you're going to be faced and and your your job is not as the parish leader your job is not to to intercede on that your job is to report it uh, which was difficult i think for some because it's it's a natural inclination to, to if you hear of a problem you want to fix it now as Don has said to them, as you hear things, by all means, take note of that in your own parish and see what you can fix. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell us the hard truths. Tell us the things that are red flags. Tell us, tell us what's difficult. Mm-hmm. We want to hear what's great too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and I th- and it's a lot of the responses uh, leaned in that direction as well, mm-hmm. where they were very happy where things were going. But I would say that there was some in some of those parishes there was some hard honesty going on, Mm -hmm. which probably made a few people uncomfortable, but it's an important thing to hear. But I think it's important for us as church is to hear what our people are saying and and to hear, you know, longstanding faithful people that have never left us, those who have left and returned, and those who are literally sitting on our very edges. We need to hear from them and know what their experiences are, what their stories are, Mm -hmm. because somehow we have to find a way as churches to walk with everyone. And a walk with everyone is a is a one-on-one walk, you know. So what are things? So to Mike's point, like around what parishes are parishes are serving up, either in terms of the really good things about our parish, because these are at the parish level now. So it'd be interesting for us as a diocese now to roll this up at the diocesan level. Sure. But I think for for parishes, it's have you found opportunities and gaps, mm-hmm. right, in your pastoral approach to your community. And what's going to happen there? So it's so interesting. I will share this. So we had a, we had our last Zoom call with all the delegates the first week in January. So one last way to ask questions: How do we put it in the tool? You know, to capture all the results, and they want to know what's next. You know, so what's next for them is they're going to gather in February. So our diocese is made up of five deaneries. So all the delegates in each of these five deaneries are going to gather. And they're going to go through our draft report. So it's 12,000 12, words. 12,000 words <laughs> that we have to turn around oh, how yeah. quickly? In a week. In a week. There you go. So in a week, we have to take. So there are many of us here. We'll take each of those um, 11 themes, mm-hmm. and we'll get it down to some discernible thing that makes sense as a narrative. Uh, and then we'll put all those together, and then we'll issue them out to the all the delegates uh, to review, and then they'll come together at the deanery level, and they'll assess together as mm-hmm. a deanery level team, essentially, and go, "Yep, this is right. Nope, this shouldn't be in there. No, it's not quite worded the way you know it came across to us." So they're going to provide us input. Okay. Send that back to us, and then we'll put the final document together, which can't be longer than ten pages. It cannot be. It cannot be longer than ten pages. Uh, and it has to be submitted, you know, into the USCCB, who will take all the dioceses from the United States and then ultimately roll it up to the Vatican later this year. So you can attach resources to it, but your report itself cannot be longer than 10 pages. So that's the work, is to distill down the essence of what our people heard while they had these sessions. So uh, this monumental task that you're explaining mm-hmm. in, a, in a short period of, of time, yeah. And also 10 pages when you're thinking of the thousands and tens of thousands of faithful in the Diocese of Camden we're listening to. How important is it, is the Holy Spirit in this process? Um, Not only to speak to the faithful or through the faithful when they're talking to the facilitators and be honest, but with what you are doing at the next level. I think the Holy Spirit... Um, and really, I would say that the Holy Spirit is absolutely and completely and totally 100% on the move. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think you can look in the world. I mean, you if you look at regular media, you think well, the world is ending, it's over, last days, all of that that people do. Mm-hmm. It isn't, mm-hmm. right? We have a world filled with hope. There's really great things that are happening. And I think the Holy Spirit is really inspiring a lot of people to do some amazing things. And I think if you look at this process, what what all these lay leaders in, in all of our parishes have done, and like even Mike mentioned it, like looking at what's in this report already, just trying to scan, and I certainly haven't read it all yet, I'm probably gonna focus just on the theme that I have been assigned, sure. <laughs> or two themes that I have been assigned uh, to write the narrative for. You can see it. You can see in what they've captured, because these teams have actually worked very hard to go, okay, here's all the stuff we heard. Mm-hmm. Now they need to distill it down. And they're capturing the things that are good, and they're capturing the things that need our attention and our focus and our heart. And I think that only happens because the Holy Spirit reveals it because the lady who's working on this are receptive to it and open. Well, I think that's an important part to notice is that these facilitators on the parish levels, though some are probably staff of a church, a lot are volunteers, correct? These, Mm -hmm. These are laity who have volunteered for one reason or another, hopefully the Holy Spirit, because they heard a call from the Pope, and and they they wanted to help. And the reason I bring up the Holy Spirit aspect is because I I think there's been some discussion of I'll, I'll use the the image of, of of a triangle with the Pope at the top, bishops in the middle, and laity at the bottom. Whereas here, Pope Francis has maybe flipped that triangle a little bit upside down, where the pinnacles at the bottom, and you have the Pope at the bottom, bishops in the middle, and faithful at the top, and then it's important to note that there's conversation going back and forth, that there's nothing that's changing canon law here, or, or we're, it's just an open dialogue that back and forth, and you can't have an open dialogue in Catholicism without the Holy Spirit. Well, you can, but just it won't be honest. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I don't know, I, you know, you, you're both looking at me cross-eyed because you know that um, I'm, I'm a tactician, not a spiritualist. Um, you're right. This is, but this is not uncommon. Um, that the process that this is utilizing uh, has been utilized before in certainly in the United States. Um, the the most recent Fifth Encuentro was a process like this. It begins at a grassroots effort, and this and this will be following the same thing. It's actually bi-directional. Um, so in the very beginning, it comes down from the Vatican, obviously, because only the Vatican can call for a synod. Um, <clears throat> and but then the marching orders go to the parish level, and then it goes through the various levels and then up back up to the Vatican again. However, at that point, it'll then be discussed and then it'll come back down again mm-hmm. and a, l- a number of things will come out of it. And that's not to say that who knows what changes. I wouldn't I wouldn't assume that con- there won't be canonical changes. I, I don't think this means that there'll be canonical changes, but this we're in a we're in an administration of the uh, uh, people administration where he's gone in places no one necessarily would expect. So that's where the honesty is. In- where the that's where the honesty uh, is so imperative in this is that we were fortunate, I think, um, that we got honest responses from our parishes. Now it's up to us, as uh, since I'm one of the reviewers, um, it's up to me to be looking at these responses in an unbiased way. And I would hope that I'll have the Holy Spirit's help in this. Um, but being a human capable of um, ignoring the Holy Spirit at any given time. I also know there's some personal responsibility in this. And I hope myself and my fellow reviewers in this diocese and the reviewers around the country, and as it gets up to the USCCB, that the people who are reading these very important words 
um, and then distilling them further and further along are open to the fact that they need to be reporting honestly what they're hearing and not what their natural human biases are. Um, that's the thing that will screw this up at any particular level is if the person reviewing, it's a natural thing, if the person reviewing it puts their own slant on it, then you're, you're altering the process. So it's a difficult process and it takes a great deal of personal conviction uh, to, re- to know that your role in this is not your personal, what your personal beliefs are. It's to communicate what you've heard from the rank and file. Well, Donna, I mean, isn't that also part of the facilitator's job? And now the, ne- the next level as well is as the facilitator, you, you're, you're basically a witness. You're not there to chime in yourself if, at, the, at the parish level on these. You're, you're there as a, as a witness to facilitate the discussion and then the note, note taker to write down what they've heard. Like, you know, even though, as you said, biases do come in. But yeah. And that's the thing I think we have to work against because it is it is a human tendency is to filter it through our own experiences mm-hmm. and our own story. You know, like if you're somebody that's had just an amazing experience with the Catholic Church and someone is now sharing something that you're like, that would never happen. Or here's how you should have responded. Like those are the things we have to present our, prevent ourselves from doing. And it's, it's really around our ability to listen with a great deal of empathy. You know, so if you look across the questions that we gave parishes, you know, across those 11 themes, like they could choose their mix. What did they want to ask, right? Because all of our parishes are different. Mm-hmm. No two of them are the same. So across the 11 themes, pick your pick your questions. Uh, but I do think, and, and we talked about that from the very beginning, even at the launch, this is not about you. And it's so hard for us. The natural tendency of like broken human nature is like, this is about me. No, 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 it's not about you. It's about them. And it's capturing the stories and the, the very personal nature of what people would, would come to share. And even if people didn't want to share their own personal stories, if something was too personal, mm-hmm. Parishes gave them an avenue to be able to do that offline. You could write it out and submit it. You could put your name. You could not put your name. I mean. Uh, really, the, the lay teams from across the diocese, I'm so impressed with the work that they did. Because to your point, they're volunteers. Um, the, all of their pastors came and asked them, you know, uh, I'm not sure it was completely clear to them what they had said yes to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as is often the case in the church. Yes. Um, uh, but I think it, in looking at what they had done and what they said yes to and what they actually facilitated, and the thing that I would anchor to now is they're like, okay, now what do we do? You're not done. They don't want to be done, right? The synod process is going to go on for another two years. We really won't see the output of this synod mm-hmm. until early 24. Mm-hmm. So they really want to know what do we do with these reports at the parish level? Do we share them? How do we share them? What's the purpose of sharing them? We have people that want to hear. I want to comment on one thing. So much feedback came in, and I, and I think it's customary. It might be in other other denominations of faith, but so many parish teams heard from people. It was like, look, we've been asked things before. No one ever tells us what they heard. Mm-hmm. And so I'm here. I'm sharing. I expect nothing in return. We should give our people a joyful surprise by actually going back to them. We have to think it through, though. It isn't like, hey, this is what we heard and that's it. Sure. It really needs to be a prayerful process that teams with their parish, with their parish pastor and maybe the other priest that may be serving with them, that they've really prayed over the report, what should be shared, and what actions. Will be. You can't act on everything. 
But it is very likely every parish has one or two things mm-hmm. that they know they need to get after. And honestly, shame on us if we don't do it. And I think for us at the diocesan level, we're going to see things at the diocesan level that we're going to either want to work on or partner with parishes on. That's important to note. Now, uh, little pat on the back to, to Donna, and and we should also say on this, uh, Father Robert Hughes, the Vicar General for the Diocese of Camden, who is uh, with Donna. They are the co-chairs of this process. Um, a little pat on the back, which is um, we're already done the parish phase. So we're we're probably the diocese. I, I don't know if we're the first diocese in the country to be done, but I'm willing to bet we're the first diocese in the country to be done and done correctly. Um, there are some dioceses, we've heard reports, that have sort of taken an abridged version of this. Um, that, uh, and I've heard it from all across the country, and I think, I think they're doing a disservice to the process and to their parishioners by doing it that way. Uh, we proved that it could be done correctly and quickly simultaneously, so I'm hopeful that um, parish or dioceses maybe are still in the early phases. We'll hopefully follow our, our uh, route in this regard. Um, but did you want to talk about what the – because your process, Donna, was fantastic with keeping people on track. You had weekly Zoom calls with the parish leaders. You got great feedback. And I should also say that uh, ours is a diocese that listens to its people. Um, not only did we get great feedback, but we incorporated that feedback mm-hmm. and encouraged the other parishes to like, – if we heard something great that one parish was doing, we told all the parishes about it. I mean, that level of communication – it's probably also something not typically seen in a lot of other areas. It may not be. So what Mike is talking about, we launched those weekly Zoom calls right after the launch of the Synod on October the 17th. So every Wednesday night, we hosted a Zoom call to take their questions so that they would have someone. Because at the local level, they don't have it. It's them. If there's four or six people on a team, they have, well, who are they going to? It's only us, right? So we wanted to walk with. We really wanted to accompany all of our parishes. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, how are we going to do that? So every Wednesday night, we did a Zoom call. And it's sort of the diocesan synod team. We kind of shared in that responsibility. Um, and then every Friday, we sent out a newsletter with the results of the call on Wednesday. Right. So we highlighted all the things that came up on the call. Uh, Really, most of the resources that we created came out of those weekly Zoom calls. You know, so I think if you if you look at the partnership between all these lay people from across the Diocese of Camden and our team, because they're not a big team that's up here, but it's like everybody worked together. Right, so Wednesday night there was a call. One of us facilitated, the other one took the notes. I always had the job of writing the newsletter, even if I wasn't on the call, so somebody had to take really good notes, and I would write the the newsletter. Mike would send the newsletter out. It was important to get that out on a Friday morning so that everybody could have everything. Um, and so I think if you look at the partnership between you know Chancery um, and the parishes, mm-hmm. it really was a great process. You know, to actually work with them. I have lots and lots of new people around the diocese that I actually know as a result of this. Um, And really, some of them have taken the time. If I can figure out exactly what to do with them, they have shared some beautiful stories with me Mm -hmm. around what they heard. Um, and and what certain, because we didn't just go out at the parish level. We went out like at the apostolate level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, we went out for the... Uh, we, we have a Vietnamese submission, right. which I'm going to have to send out for translation. Right. But uh, <laughs> but it is... Yeah, yeah. we have, we have uh, Spanish submissions, uh, Vietnamese submissions. I think there's a Korean submission in there. Our deaf community. Our deaf community. That's right. They have participated yeah. in this process. We're having a... Uh, ecumenical that's actually going to come we're going to do that in February with Bishop with all the heads of the other faiths we're going to conduct that because you know Pope Francis is very interested in how the other churches are working you know with the Catholic Church locally so we've really followed the process so Mike you keep talking about this blueprint the Vatican gave us a blueprint and we followed the blueprint are there any success stories that you can share from the from the parish level like some you don't have to I have one Oh, all so right. I was on, I wasn't on all the Wednesday calls, but I was on one, um, and we it was right before Thanksgiving, and the 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 one of the parish leaders was saying, well, you know, we're gonna we think we're going to um, shut down with the holidays coming up. Like we don't think we should have like a meeting on a like right before Thanksgiving or something like that, or during that Thanksgiving weekend or something. Like that. And some brilliant person on the on the call said, no, 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 no. Remember, we need the peripheries. You need the C and E Catholics. You need the guy, the people who don't come on a on a thir- on a Thanksgiving or who have moved away and then are coming back and they happen to be there that very weekend. That's a that's an opportunity. That wasn't a hurdle. That was an opportunity that was just put in front of you, and um, and it, it changed a lot of people's minds and and they took that into account. And but th- that wouldn't have happened unless that call had occurred and that question had been asked. It was it was fantastic. That's great. Yeah. The other thing that I would add about that is uh, some of the parishes, so they took their parish logo and the synod logo, and they put a link into social media and into the local community newspapers Mm -hmm. to actually get the broader community, because it's hard, right? We kind of function a little bit in a Catholic bubble. We're kind of with each other, you know, and I think there's even statistics out there that most of us that are Catholic, most of the people we know are Catholic. You know, even if they're not practicing, like we all have members of our family that aren't necessarily, you know, practicing in the faith, but they would still identify as Catholic. Not a lot of us have a lot of friends that are outside of this space. So some of these parishes really wanted to get to others in their community. So putting ads in the newspaper and a link to their survey. Um, The other thing is when the Vatican extended the deadline a little bit around when we had to submit, we then extended ours. So our original deadline on tool submission was December 8th, right? So you see the Immaculate Conception. Uh, but when they extended theirs, we extended ours a little bit to give them more time. So back to the Thanksgiving situation that Mike is talking about, mm-hmm. there were parishes that are like, oh, all the college kids are home over Christmas. We should talk to them. Mm-hmm. Great. Right? Because they're not, they wouldn't have been there during the fall necessarily. So they would have been home at Christmas. So trying to reach out to them at that time. So those are some of the creative ideas that people came up with to try and reach further mm-hmm. beyond their own community, beside their own hub. So if that would happen, and let, let's take the college kids as an example, their home, do, would the parishes give them a form to answer questions, or would they actually host roundtables or Zoom meetings, or like how did that actually break down to happen? Where I found uh, a lot of the parishes functioned was in the combination, mm-hmm. to try and get to the most people. So live listening sessions, Zoom listening sessions, paper surveys in the pews, and an electronic survey. So send it out. So some parishes use Flocknote to communicate broadly. So using Flocknote, putting the link in the bulletin, putting a QR code in the bulletin. You know, so uh, parish announcements. So these members of these lay teams actually spoke 
early on, mm-hmm. you know, at masses to give announcements to talk about the importance of these sessions and what they are. Because most people don't know what a synod is. Sure. Right. You know? So I think that's an important thing to, that we had to be educated on what is a synod then to help the lay teams because they had to turn around and do the same thing for their communities. And, and we have to give some credit once again to Father Hughes and Bishop Sullivan, who also made a point to keep, keep continue to end on it, to continue sending reminders to the priests and pastors to make sure that the synod was something that there was a, a focal point in their parishes for the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to their credit, I would say I wasn't aware of a church that didn't do that to some degree or another. So I, I think there was good buy-in on the part of the pastors. I also appreciated from the from the Catholic media point of view, Father Rocks, Father Hughes, and Bishop, and more, and Donna as well almost wrote a column almost every issue we had mm-hmm. to to keep it front and center in in people's minds and hearts that this is something that we should take part in yeah. or at least keep our eyes open for yeah yeah and, and I, explain it by yeah. the way they explained it quite mm-hmm. well over and over again and, in, and in, a, ways. in a variety of different voices yes. uh father yes. rocks did it in a very dense uh, uh, ecumenical uh, or not ecumenical ecclesiastical uh, way his, his was a tough one to read but his was very specific whereas Father Hughes wrote it and Father Hughes's letter was probably the most understandable of any single one that I and actually was probably the most well written and I'm not just saying that because he signs my paychecks uh, it actually was a really really well so if anybody else in another diocese would like to explain to your people what the sin is about Go find Father Hughes's um, uh, letter to the people about, or his column rather, about the synod because it, it just encapsulates it so perfectly. Or to make it easier for you, you should just email Mike Walsh and let him send it to you. The link. <laughs> can also instead do of making you go hunt. Wait a second, she's the managing editor. Jen's the managing editor. Let's call her. Jennifer.morrow at uh, CamdenDiocese.org. Or better yet, just go to the CatholicStarHerald.org and put it in the search bar. <laughs> Matter of fact, after this conversation, I'm going to put it back on the front of the homepage. <laughs> Everybody go to the CatholicStarHerald.org and there it will be once again. And Father Hughes doesn't write for us very often, so no, if you need doesn't. to search for him, it'll be easy to find yeah, his, his column. Too. He did a really great job. The other thing that I would say to anybody who's listening to this, if you wanted to look at what resources we created, you can come to the Diocese of Camden's webpage. Uh, and you can find it under my uh, office. Yeah. Uh, to our listeners, if you've been listening and you keep hearing, uh, Donna is very Italian and can only speak with her hands. So you've probably noticed that she's been banging on the table every time she's having the conversation. <laughs> so she just got quiet there because I, I just, it was making my ears bleed so I asked her to stop pounding on the table but you know what earlier I was sitting on my hands for a reason I am back to sitting on my hands so they will not move Otaviano is my name lots of owls wait my mother is not Italian but when we would try to but she would love to pontificate and she pontificated with her hands the only way to get her to one day we were at a family party the only way to get my my uncle to get her to stop talking was to put two cups of hot coffee in her hand (gasps) she was unable to speak Mm -hmm. she didn't know what to do with herself it was was so perfect (laughs) Anyway, next time, Don, I'm having two cups of coffee at the table for you. Then I won't be able to use my hands. I was going to say, but then we'll be on the podcast. Now I'll just deal with the pounding. Um, You know, so so that's the that's a a very good explanation of of how we handled the the parish process. And we've talked a little bit about what the diocesan process is going to be in terms of going out to all the deaneries. Though we we probably need to remind people what deaneries are. Every every diocese has one. Um, they can be a variety of sizes. Um, when uh, m- until about ten years ago, I think we had something like fifteen deaneries in South Jersey. 
Um, however, uh, they reorganized um, uh, maybe ten years ago, and we are now we now have five, and they're basically they rep- basically represent the different er- areas of the diocese. Um, highly urbanized areas will usually have multiple deaneries. Uh, like we have one county that's got two deaneries, and then we have one deanery that covers three counties. Um, it's just how it works out. So the idea is to make sure there's a little bit of deanery representation. So you were saying when are we? When are the February? Deaner- February. So they'll start uh, February fifth. And so the deaneries uh, will gather. So we have deaneries. We also have a dean of each of those deaneries, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a, one of our pastors is the dean of the deanery. Uh, so they have each created their own meeting, you know, day, date, time, location. And all of the um, lay delegates from the parishes that are in those deaneries will gather. And they'll be led through a review process a of, review what we've, of what we've put yeah, together. Of what we've created. Yeah. And then we will take their input and then over time eventually finalize this document so that we can roll it up to the USCCB. I will say that the deanery process, the deanery section is the one I'm most interested in hearing from. Uh, the, the parishes did a great job. I mean, some of the submissions from the parishes are one or two sentences, and some of them are many paragraphs, um, depending on what they had a particular interest in or what they heard a lot of feedback from. Um, and Donna, when you take a look at it, you'll sort of see the, the stuff in there. Um, the you know there was one thing I wanted to talk about as we were getting into that deanery process. Um, I talked before about honesty and all this, and one of the elements of honesty that that we decided to uh, utilize. So Don and I both worked in the medical profession, um, uh, medical research profession. She was in pharmaceuticals, and I was a medical reporter for many years. So we would basically constantly see all these studies and in the medical field and in the academic field in general they do what's called blind studies double blind studies and there if you're ever looking at a study that's one of the things you want to find is whether it's a blind or double blind Uh, because basically it it takes away reviewer bias Um, so what we did was we took all of the parish names out of the document so we don't know which parish submitted these because as you may imagine there is human nature sometimes related to certain parishes they every parish has a reputation and we wanted to remove that as a possible negative aspect of the review process so for anyone in our own diocese um, we've done that to make sure that you you get a full listen so to make sure that your your proposals, your your reporting is looked at with an honest eye and not with one that maybe there's an opinion about a pastor or opinion about a, a leader or opinion about a, a community or something like that. The only people we're going to know who it was, and actually by the time it gets to our reviewers, they won't know because I'll translate it everything in English. So um, yeah, I guess yeah. That, yeah. But the one thing I would say about that, I actually love that the report was pulled that way. So you did it. You took all the parishes out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really, you know, and unless there's some identifier buried somewhere in those 12,000 words that we're going to read, um, it's not, it's, the, it's exactly the same thing that you talked about. Like for the lay delegates that had to lead, the importance of them listening with empathy, asking good questions. So we gave them the questions, you know, and then whatever their follow-ups were to make sure they fully understood someone's story is to take the filter is to take the bias out. Mm -hmm. So let us hear from the people from across the diocese of Camden in in a voice and not by county, rural, 
you know, city, parish, pastor, or some leader over at that parish, whatever the reputations might be. We need to hear from the people of God, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. Jenna, are you looking forward to all of these? Since you just started the synod process in your own world, um, is this does this sound onerous to you in any way? Uh, I, I want to go. I want to say that I just started it. You, yeah, you specifically, me personally, not, not your diocese. But the diocese has been working on it for a while. It's mm-hmm. just that uh, me personally, um, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, there will be facilitators, note takers. As a journalist, I have a feeling I will be a note taker, um, <laughs> which is a lot of writing uh, or typing, depending on how you do it. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm also curious to to learn more about how many people really want to be heard. You know, and, and I would encourage anybody out there, no matter what diocese you're in, if you're still in that process of the synod, to to reach out to your parish, to reach out to your pastor, ask about the synod process and how you could take part, whether it's a, as a facilitator, a note taker, or one of, one of those who are going to be speaking and having your voice heard. I think that's really important. Because from what I understand, Donna, a lot of dioceses are, it, I mean, the process is still ongoing across the nation. Even though the Diocese of Camden is in this deanery stage, other dioceses across the nation are still in, in the collecting of the data. Right. The USCCB is hosting calls for all of the dioceses all the way through till June. Okay. You know, so we really, uh, a lot of effort was put into looking at what the high-level blueprint was in the spring of last year when mm-hmm. it came out. Even though we didn't have the themes, we didn't have the questions, you know, a lot of thought, and again, credit to Father Hughes for him really thinking through this process uh, and really knowing where we were going to head come the fall. Like declared, okay, the Pope says you have to have an opening mass on October 17th. Okay, we're having one. Okay, what are we doing at that? What are we doing at that mass, Father? You know, and really thinking about how do we do the right thing by the people that would lead these efforts very locally. So the meeting that we had before the mass you know, let's let's explain these things. We actually did a role play. I was gonna say it involved a skit. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We did a um... which ordinarily would make me roll my eyes. Mm-hmm. However, that was quite frankly perhaps the most informative and most appreciated part of the of the of the effort because people were really worried about how to handle some of the red flag things that would would come up like those uncomfortable topics that people just don't really want to deal with sometimes. So we had Jose Rodriguez uh, basically play. <laughs> The I don't know how to describe him in this, but the that tough nut in your parish that uh, always has something to say. He played that role and played it to perfection. I might add. He did. Um, <laughs> he did. And to, to, apparently t- to the point where it's like someone told him to chill out because they thought that was the real him. Um, For but, real? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he. Uh, but it was. It was. A, everyone said that was the most important part was actually seeing how to handle a situation like that. Yeah, so, uh, and kudos actually to our pastoral colleague, Mike Bedix. He's like, we should really do a role play for them. I'm like, what a great idea. Yeah, I come out of pharma, right? So we role played everything, everything, because why would you want to make a mistake in front, of, in front of a healthcare provider? You wouldn't. So we designed this in such a way that Jose and a few of our other diocesan colleagues, mm-hmm. Jose in particular, though, took every hard pot shot question. So I played the role of facilitator so that they could actually watch me and listen to me how do i handle every time jose asks me like the hard thing because he asked me the hard thing more than once okay so for them to actually go oh yeah i wouldn't like getting that question because that's what they said afterward we had a reception after the 
that was the meeting that we had a mass and we gave bishops medals and we had a little reception for everyone afterward. And some of them were like, that's the best thing. You know, they really appreciated seeing how you could manage those situations and not have a tremendous amount of like angst, you know, over it or thinking you had to answer it. Well, that was my question. As a facilitator, do you ask answer that hard question or like how, how do you handle that? No, particularly as it relates to church teaching, mm-hmm. your job is not that. You, uh, you're like, you appreciate that they've shared it. Mm-hmm. We're going to ensure that we've captured it. You may take an opportunity to repeat back what you've heard to ensure that we've captured it properly, but you clarify your role. I'm here to ask on behalf of the Holy Father in this process, but I'm not here to address issues of church teaching. And yeah. that makes most sense to most people because who am I? Right. You know, I'm not going to, I have no say in whatever these hot topics are, and we all know some of them. Mm-hmm. But for a, for a parish with a wise pastor, um, hopefully he was present and, or at the very least received, uh, you know, what the report was, and maybe hopefully we'll reach out to that person. So this, this process was completely intended to be a reporting process. But a wise parish will take that information and not need to wait two years. They, there, there may be concerns that they can address in the here and now. And that was something that Donna was encouraging them to do if they if they felt strongly about it was don't wait. Go ahead no, and take care of it. Don't wait. It was the really it was the uh, last Zoom call we had in the last newsletter that I sent to everyone because of what the delegates talked about on that call. Like, what do we do now? So they knew when we were gathering that, OK, here, here are the deanery meetings. You know, because not everybody knows what deanery they're part of. So I created a couple of slides. That, okay, you're, you know, if you're here, here's your deanery, here's your meeting. Um, but I also, because they have such energy now, because of what they've heard, kind of what they've recognized that they could do differently or better as a parish, um, and really understanding that the synod process is going to go on for another two years before we ever see the final report, they want to continue. Like they want to make changes or make it better for people in their parishes and their communities. So I think looking at what they do. So Mike, you mentioned like the pastors, it's really important for the team and the pastor to really kind of take a look at what's in there. Uh, But sometimes it's hard, right? Kind of digging through those things and like, oh, maybe there's like eight or 10 things in here. Okay, you don't want to do all eight or 10. Pick one or two, you know, think about how you want to communicate back out to your parish. because you really are in a position to keep the synod alive for people for the next two years. And it was so consistent that people were like, we're never gonna hear another thing about this. Well, you know what, let's change that. Let everybody that participated in the synod in the Diocese of Camden, she'd be like, wow, we hear about this all the time. You should see the really good stuff that's happening as a result. Sure. You know, or the things we can work on and the things maybe we can't, you know, so what do we do? So I think, that's that's a piece I think that would be critical for pastors to hear from their teams, mm-hmm. for teams to bring to the to the pastors to the pastoral council. I think that's going to be a really important piece of our work, at the very local level within the parish, and then for us. What does this report actually look like for us here? You know, like what kind of tools and resources do they need? You know, like how do you like how do you dig into the report? How do you create sort of the you know, I hate to use the businessy term of like a strategic plan. It's a pastoral plan for your parish. No, don't don't. I disagree with you. Do not feel. Okay. Uh, uh, do not second guess yourself on that. If there's <laughs> sometimes I think it would be great if we could take the Catholic Church by the back of the neck and pull it into the 21st century. Uh, no, strategic plans are important. You don't need to call it a pastoral plan. A little. 
One of the reasons you and I are so well-liked in the diocese, maybe not in the parishes, but well-liked in the diocese, <laughs> is because you and I both came from corporate areas where we've been able to sort of bring that corporate sense into the diocesan offices where we do think strategically, we do think holistically, we do look long-term. Um, and I would hope that other dioceses are hiring people just like us. Because wow. I got news for you. <laughs> what I tend to do is steal good people from other dioceses, <laughs> which I have proven on multiple Jen. occasions. <laughs> and uh, I find good talent. I bring it here. Mm-hmm. He repeats that on almost every podcast. Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. So well, everybody should no think they're a candidate from another diocese. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's I will steal your best that. people. Exactly. <laughs> that is actually now that I think about it, this is a warning every time. <laughs> this is a warning to every other diocese, yeah. isn't it? Yes. I will take your people. If you do not take if you yes, on a variety of levels, I will take good talent. And I've encouraged all of my fellow directors to do the exact same thing. If you if you have a hole to fill in your department, Look around for experts elsewhere. I will steal from parishes. I'll, st- I'll steal from anywhere. I'm, I'm soulless in that regard. Because that's really what we want. We want good people right. with skills. Yeah. Right? What is it we talk about? We take a doer. Yeah, a doer we want doers. A thinker. Yeah. Well, we hope, for their th- we hope they're nice. a thinker, too. But yeah, it's nice doers if you can do both. You know? but, so I'm going to go back to it. I'm going to be like, okay, the strategic plan. Right? Yeah. Every parish should have a strategic plan. Mm-hmm. You know, Listen, I head up the Office of Discipleship and Leadership for the Diocese of Camden. If, uh, if what we're doing, yeah, I mean, I really think pastoral councils, parishes with their, you know, pastors with their leadership teams, if they're not assessing every single thing they're doing and that there's an evangelization component to it, stop doing it. Stop. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're really, I mean, you look at the statistics in the church, we have work to do, mm-hmm. a lot of it. And that's really one of the tenets of the synod process, which I'm hoping other dioceses are, are making an effort to do, which is that sort of that, that peripheries thing. I know it tends to rattle some people when who don't have a particular fascination with Pope Francis, um, but you know those are where our people are. You you actually brought it up earlier, and I hadn't really considered it until you said it, Donna. Most of the Catholics I know, most of the Catholics I'm friends with, most of the Catholics in my family are lapsed Catholics. I'm surrounded by Catholics who who, don't, who are no longer part of the church. And it's up to us to get those lapsed Catholics back. And the only way to do that is to listen to them. And we're not going to get them all, but it would be nice if we get some more. And then all, the, all those people who are, who are Catholics in waiting, who just haven't been encouraged to come back to the church because we haven't – we've lost as a church – being the community center. One of the reasons churches were so huge back in the day is because we were community centers. Now we're the place you go to church on Sunday because your mom made you or because that's how you were institutionalized to go. If we don't develop that sense, uh, we are in bad straits. Yeah. And that, and I'm, I'm completely convinced that's what is at the core of the synod process with Francis is figuring out how to properly bolster the church again. I also think that if you look at the fastest growing religion, it's the people leaving the Catholic Church. It is. And I also think we're not done. But I think we're kidding ourselves if we think that those sitting on the fence, like they've all left, the ones that are leaving are leaving, we have to go get them back. I think we have many who are sitting on the fence. And to the point around Mm -hmm. building a sense of community in your parish, I really think we have to think about what we do to reach to the peripheries. We're not good at it. We are are totally not good at reaching to the peripheries. And what are parishes doing to cultivate spiritual friendships for people, for people that are at every threshold Mm -hmm. uh, of coming into the faith? We're not doing that, right? Coming to Mass on Sunday, you don't make friends by coming to Mass on Sunday. Now, 
you got to come to Mass on Sunday because it's the source and summit. I love Mass. I love mm-hmm. every element of the Mass uh, because there's something important going on literally minute to minute in the Mass you come. Mm-hmm. But parishes need to start to think about how they're cultivating or creating an environment in which to make spiritual friends of everyone. Right. Everyone needs to land in your parish. How do you do it? Yeah. Yeah. And I think in the same vein, I'm just going to repeat the call that if you're in a diocese that has already finished the the question part uh, of the synod, the questions are still out there. You can still have those conversations in your parishes. I mean, you can still print it out, go on your website and look in your bulletin, have small group discussions about it, um, and, and then maybe end up talking to other people, your pastor, about it. And then if you're in a diocese that, that is not finished with the synod process, find who your facilities are, talk to your pastors, and see how you can be involved and, and, and answer these questions and get the dialogue going. Yeah, you don't have to wait for a synod. It's it's great when that stuff happens, but this is actually this the reason why Donna was so well tasked with this is because it's really been the genesis of her office since she came on board several years ago. Um, Bishop Sullivan wanted her to come on and help develop good Catholic leaders in all of the parishes. And honestly, the only way to really pull that off is with a strategic plan. And the only way you can really do that is with buy-in from the the pastors. You know, we held the con- she was. She basically was hired to create this one event and and take on this one role, and it was an exemplary event. It was a convocation of Catholic leaders, uh, the gospel. What did, shoot, now I can't remember. The joy of the gospel the in South, South Jersey. Jersey. I can't believe I couldn't remember. I will that. never forget. The, it's um, I had the word joy in it, Mike. That's right. why. That's you know why. what? You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. I, I always choke on that word. Um, the uh, but that was what it was designed to do was to help people to understand about the importance of missionary discipleship and to develop good Catholic leaders and through these various processes we've gone through the last several years, we have now come to know some great Catholic leaders in our parishes that we never would have known about, we never would have met had these processes not happened. So these, sometimes it's the process, some, all, all the time it's the Holy Spirit, um, but a lot of the time it's just making sure you have good people who listen. And as much as Donna annoys me on a nearly minute-to-minute basis, um, she's one of those people who does a great job of finding great talent, bringing in great talent, and bringing them up to the front so that the bosses get to know them, that the bishop gets to understand these people. Uh, it's been a wonderful process. So I'm I'm thankful every single day that uh, Father Hughes and Bishop Sullivan have gone down this track and hired people like Donna and then had Donna encourage people out in the uh, out in the peripheries. Be bold. The be, be bold. Be bold. Be holy. That's right. It's not just for um, – for uh, I'm just going to go down with a joke, and now I can't remember the other half of the joke. Well, then I'm going to plug one last thing. Yeah, it's around you have 30 personal, seconds. 30, it's around personal vocation. Okay. So I want to offer to people to think about every single person has a vocation. You are the only one who has ever been, the only one ever. No one like you exists now, nor will anyone like you exist in the future. When we say personal vocation in the Catholic Church, it is the universal call to holiness. Every single one of us is called to be holy. There's a certain state in life that we have been called to, either ordained, consecrated, religious, married, single, and that he has called us into something every single day. Everyone is a leader in the church, wherever you are. Amen, Donna. And that is a great way to end. So, uh, Jen, this was a great idea. Donna, thank you for joining us. Sure thing, Mike. Anytime. (laughs) To our listeners, uh, thanks again, and we'll be back next week. We'll be talking uh, Catholic Schools Week next week. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Jen.